uh, as they're going, if you want to open to Acts chapter 2, we're going to be there in a little bit if you've got your Bibles. If not, we've got screens and, and notes and all of that. But this morning we're talking about community, my commitment to community and what that looks like here at Abundant Life Church. Um, it got me thinking about something that happened to me on September 28th, 2011. Does anybody know what happened on September 28th, 2011? September is the month right before October, that's your clue, and Steve likes sports. September 28th, 2011 is known as Game 162 of the Tampa Bay Rays season. They had played 161 games. It had come down to one game. I think they were a half game back on Boston. They needed Boston to lose. They needed to win to make it into the playoffs. Boston was playing the Orioles, and the Orioles then were not the Orioles of this year, but they were pretty poor. And the Rays needed to win against the Yankees. After two innings, the Rays were down 5 nothing. It was pretty discouraging. Halfway through the eighth inning, the Rays were down 7 nothing, And in the meantime, Boston was up 2 nothing. I remember thinking I should just go to bed. This is ridiculous. Why would I even stay here? Why, why keep watching? But I'm a glutton for punishment, as many of us are as sports fans, and I said, i got to watch this through to the end. It's the last game of the year. We'll just see how this finishes up. So I sat there watching, and in the eighth inning, in our half of the eighth inning, the Rays put up six runs. Evan Longoria hits a three-run home run to put him within one. I was pretty excited. And at this point, I didn't have any kids yet, but I was married, and my parents had an apartment, a uh, detached apartment at their place, and, but our TV did not get the channel that the Rays played on, so I was in at their house while everyone else was asleep, which is really just them, I think. I'm trying to watch this game, and, and I'm getting so excited, but I'm trying to be as quiet as I can in the midst of it. And as the Rays go into the ninth inning, we start hearing whispers. They're giving us updates about the Boston game. They said, the Orioles just scored one. There, there's two down in the ninth inning, but the Orioles just scored one. They've got guys on. Sweet. All right. Watching our game. A little bit later, they come across, and they say, they just put up two. They tied it up. And the game's in Boston, so that Boston still has to hit yet. And then the next batter comes up, and they said, Boston just went ahead. It's three to two. Rays are down one. First two batters of the inning get up. Both of them strike out. Pretty disheartening. Dan Johnson gets up to bat, not known as a home run hitter, spoiler alert. He's got two strikes on him. He's got two balls on him. He's got two outs against him. He's down to his last strike. He hits one out, ties the game. Yes! I remember yelling as quietly as I could, yes! This is it! In the meantime, wait, I think I threw, my th threw things off a little bit. Boston's game goes into a rain delay before they start scoring all these runs. So the Rays go into extras. They go into the 10th inning, the 11th inning, nothing happens. 12th inning, and that's when they start coming back. And so now the Rays are in the 12th inning because I remember thinking, well, who cares? Even if we win, we're not going to the postseason, but that's all right. It's always good to beat the Yankees, am I right? Always good. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Man, if we can have a day where Boston and the Yankees both lose, though, whoo, that's good stuff. So all of a sudden we start getting word in the 12th inning, Boston tied it up. Boston went ahead. I mean, I'm sorry, Orioles went, tied it up. Orioles, go ahead. Boston goes to hit. They get the first three batters, they're out. You know, the game's over. We get word at 12.05. And by we, I mean me, because I'm all alone. 
Boston just lost. The Orioles won. The Rays just need a win. 12-08, Evan Longoria gets up to bat. Once again, two outs. He's up there. I'm pretty sure with two strikes. Hits a line drive laser down the left field line. Praise the Lord, whoever designed Tropicana Field notched that fence right there at that corner and brought it down to like three feet off the ground because that's right where that thing went over. Hits the Rays into the postseason in a three-minute swing. We go from not making the playoffs to we're going to the playoffs, baby. It was awesome. I remember jumping up on the couch. Yeah! I was running around. I was so pumped. It was awesome. Man, it was exciting, but it lacked one thing. It lacked anybody to celebrate with, right? So I just sat there and celebrated with the guys on the TV. I often compare that to what happened on June 7, 2004. Anybody know what happened on that day? It's also a sports thing. Anybody? Tampa Bay Lightning win their first Stanley Cup. Come on. A couple of buddies said, hey, let's go up to the game. We don't have tickets, but we'll watch on the patio. They're showing the game on the, the parking garage right next door. We'll just go and, and we'll stand there and we'll watch. And we literally stood there and watched because it was standing room only, shoulder to shoulder. It was slammed. Me, some buddies, and 10,000 of my closest friends that I'd never met before. <laughs> Watch the lightning beat the Calgary Flames. Man, was it sweet. The only thing better than beating, some, uh, beating New York and having Boston lose is beating some Canadians at hockey. Am I right? Come on. <laughs> Where are you at back there, Greg? <laughs> oh, that was super sweet. And I remember... After the game, high-fiving strangers, and some of them wanted hugs. I tried to de defend myself against that. We go to the car, and we're just like, let's just drive around. And so we had my buddy's mi mom's minivan. We rolled those doors open. We popped that back hatch. Two guys were out the back. We're hanging out the van. High-fiving. People are everywhere. It was awesome. Both of those were exciting things that went on, but one of them involved community, and the other did not. And I think for all of us, we have stories in our lives, times where the worst kind of story that you can tell is when you say, well, I guess you had to be there, right? Chances are the most memorable stories that you have in your life, the most memorable things that have happened in your life have happened in community with other people. And I would challenge you to start thinking about this body, this place, these people as your people, this morning as your community because this is the place you're going to find that if you choose to. But there's a reason that all of this community is so important and it's not because you should do something, but it's because this is how you were created. God created you this way. Point number one says, I am crafted for community. I am crafted for community. We're wired for relationships. You can't not do it because it's how God made you. Genesis 1:26 says, "Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us." Which we immediately have to ask, who's he talking to? Right? Cuz at this point he's just creating some stuff, but he hasn't made humans yet. So is he talking to angels? And the answer is no. The angels don't have the ability to create. So who's God talking to? Who is us? Who is our image? Who is to be like us? Who's God talking to? It's to the Father. He's talking to the Son and the Holy Spirit. John 1, 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So God in this moment is talking to the Trinity, which is very confusing, but I celebrate the fact that I can't understand all that God is because if I could, He wouldn't be God anymore, right? 
And so there are parts of him that I don't quite get. But here in this moment, I'd like you to circle those three words. Let us make, let us make human beings in our likeness, in our image, to be like us. God, in and of himself, is relationship. And so he makes us like him. And one of those ways is for relationship. First and foremost, with him but also with each other, right? Jesus summarized the entire Old Testament commandments in two, love God, love people. It's all about relationship. Look at Genesis 2.18 then. It says, Then the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Genesis 1, God brings about all of these amazing events in a day. He says, he does a bunch of things, and then at the end it says what? What does he say at the end? It is good. Then he goes to day two, and he does all this stuff. And at the end, he says, it is good. And every time at the end of the day, God says, it is good. And then here in verse 18, we have the first, it is not good. Something is not good in this situation where Adam is here, but he has relationship with God, which is good. But something else is not good, and that's there's no one like him. He has no relationship with anyone like him. And God says, this is not good. From the very beginning... We are crafted for community with each other. And this is the place to find it. But, you know, I, I did a quick Google search because I think a lot of times, you know, we can find stuff in Scripture, but it's kind of curious to see what, are, what do other people say about this. And so I found some stuff on the Internet, which you know is true. So I'm, I'm taking it at face value. I hope you do too, but I think it, I think it, it works. It said a review of 148 studies found that people with strong social relationships, are 50% less likely to die prematurely. Strong social relationships result in a 50% better chance of you not dying prematurely. College students who reported having strong relationships were half as likely to catch a common cold when exposed to the virus. In a survey of, I love this one, a survey of the National Bureau of Economic Research of 5,000 people found that doubling your group of friends has the same effect on your well-being as a 50% increase in income. That's significant. I'll take both, but you got an opportunity right now to double your influence and make yourself feel like your well-being is 50% improved. And so this morning, the alternate is also true, though. On the other hand, low social support is linked to a number of health consequences, such as depression, decreased immune function, and higher blood pressure. And then another study, psychiatrists Jacqueline Olds and Richard Schwartz, don't know who they are, said social alienation is an inevitable result of contemporary society's preoccupation with materialism and frantic business. Social alienation is an inevitable result of the way that we choose to live our life, focusing on things and money. They continue and said, their, their decades of research supports the idea that lack of relationships can cause multiple problems with physical, emotional, and spiritual health. The research is clear and devastating. Isolation is fatal. And I think we all, we all kind of recognize that, right? We went through 2020. We recognize how separate and separation was not a good thing. But the reason for all of this is not that we evolved to start feeling this way over time, but that we are crafted by a God that said it is not good for man to be alone, and we need each other. And while it's, it says that it's good for you to have relationships, the alternate is also true, not having relationships is detrimental to your health, to your well-being. 
you know, for me, I've, I've been here at Abundant Life Church since 2010. I, I look back on that, and I think, man, it's been 14 years that I've been on staff here. And uh, I've loved most of it. No, just kidding. No, I've loved being here. And, but it wasn't until I decided to join a small group that this place went from the church I work at or the church I attend to this is my home. And these are my people. You see, early on, I started working at church, and I was leading all kinds of stuff, and I, w I was in leadership, and I didn't want to join a small group because I didn't want to be forced to have to lead that small group, and people would just assume, well, Steve, since you work at church, you should lead the small group, and so I was like, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, and eventually, there was word that someone was starting a, a small group for young married couples, and I was like, yes, someone's starting a group that I can just attend, I'm so excited, and so we started going through life together, and, I, and, and my wife and I and a, and a handful of other couples just started going and then we, we, we changed from the young marrieds group to the young families group, to the not-so-young families group, but the group with a ton of kids. At one point, we had, I think there was four couples. Each of us had four kids under the age of four. No, just kidding. Under the age of, like, nine or ten. And we had 16 kids in our house. Rick's, Rick Beachy's daughter, Hannah, came and babysat a couple of times, and we just had these visions of poor Hannah just tied up to a chair, and our kids just running wild, but we thought as long as they're running wild in the room and we can kind of get this Bible study done, we're doing okay. And Hannah survived, praise the Lord. She's still with us today. But it wasn't until I decided to put myself out there, to become a part of a group, and to say, I want community from some people, that this place changed from my church to my home. And the people changed from people at church to my People. Those are the same people who were the first when each of us was having kids of filling out the stuff to, to set up that uh, meal train and bring meals over. They were the first, to, you know, first phone calls I made when I needed some help around the house. Like a couple years ago, we took this giant oak tree down, and those were my guys, and they came over, and, and we took this oak tree down. It was awesome. Nobody died. It was good. They became my people. Because I put myself out there and I said, I need something. And then when they need something, I can be that person for them as well. We need community. Number two, because I'm crafted for community, I will make it a priority. I will make it a priority. I think for me, I've, I've always grown up here in Sarasota. I was born here. I've been here for 14 years at Abundant Life Church. It's very easy for me to become complacent and to just say, ah, I'm good. I'm good with my people. I'm good with my group. I don't, I don't need to reach out. I don't need to take that extra step. But as we're going to find as we look at Acts 2 in the early church, it's a decision that you have to make to say, no, I need to do this. I need more. Maybe because I need something from someone or maybe someone needs something from me. So Acts 2.42, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So you've got this group of people. They've all gathered because of um, some Jewish festivals, right, Passover. So they're all there, and then Jesus dies, and then Jesus resurrects, and all of a sudden God starts doing something in this group. And as a Jewish culture... They were very hospitable. They would always put people up. So everybody would come, and they'd just stay at someone's house. And as time went on, these people kept staying there because God was doing something, and they didn't want to go back home. 
So this early church didn't quite know what to do. And so they just devoted themselves to these four things. And that word devoted means a steadfast and single-minded focus to a certain cause or action. What the early church did not do was add one more thing to their busy schedule. But they said, no, I'm going to have single-minded focus for this thing, and everything else will be secondary. So my challenge this morning, one of my challenges for us today is, what is church to you, and what is this body to you? Is it another thing to an already busy calendar, or is it the thing that everything else has to work around? You've got to make that choice. You've got to make it a priority. It's got to be the thing. The early church said, this is the thing we will have our single-minded focus about. And I know that that's easy for me, and maybe you look at me and you say, yeah, Steve, sure, sure, that's your job. This is where you work and all of that. But it doesn't say the disciples had this single-minded focus. It says the body did. The believers did. They devoted themselves to these four things. The first is the apostles' teaching. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have scripture written out. All they had was these guys, the apostles, saying, here's what Jesus said. They passed it on. For us, we've got God's word. We've got scripture. We've got devices. We've got Bibles. We've got a thousand different translations. It's all there. Are you devoted to God's word? Is it a priority in your life? Is it something that you won't compromise with, but every day you're going to be in it? You're going to be reading. This is my fourth year of reading through the Bible in a year on a meal, meal plan. On a, <laughs> you know what I mean, on a Bible reading plan. And the last three years, I've said, all right, I did that once. Let's try something else. Let's, let's do a devotional or let's do something different. And every year January rolls around and I say, no, I can't. I want to do it again. And in four years, God still speaks. Um, someone from, from earlier in the service, Fran Overholt, he was telling me that there was someone that he knew who had read through the Bible 163 times in his lifetime. We started doing the math on that, and it's like, that's like a couple times a year and probably more. And I said, and I bet every time he read through it, God spoke something different to him. Because we've got God's word, and we have access to it, and God will speak to you differently each and every time that you read through it. And he'll, he'll tell you something new, and you'll learn about him new, and, and he will do things every time you do it. And that's what sets that book apart from any other book in the world. But are you devoted to it? The early church was. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. That word is koinonia. Maybe you've heard of that before. It's association, communion, fellowship, and participation of sharing one with another. They devoted themselves to be together. Now, it wasn't always for Bible study, but sometimes it was. It wasn't always to go to the temple, but sometimes it was. They just wanted to be together and gather and just live. This third one I love they devoted themselves to sharing meals. That's the good stuff. I often, I often say, my, our small group, my small group has got, we eat the best. And I've heard of other small groups where they're like, ah, anybody else's small group think they can rival my small group? A couple? I say we have a little bit of a cook-off. I can be the judge, and we can, we can see who eats better. I love that when we gather, we gather to eat, and we just spend time together. Like I said, with, with a lot of kids in our groups, and even now that the kids are growing up, there's a lot of times where the goal is just let's be together and let's eat. And that's what the early church did. I mean, they also remembered Jesus, right? There, there, it, scripture talks about including the Lord's Supper, communion, remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made. But a big part was just be together. Spend time together. And then the third thing that they did is they devoted themselves to prayer. 
They devoted themselves to prayer, which of course I connect directly with worship because all worship is is prayer set to music. And so they worshiped together. They gathered and they just praised God. They thanked him, thanked him for who he was, for what he did, for what Jesus did. They celebrated that. Those four things is what the early church did. They kept it real simple. And God did some amazing things. Miracles happened. Great things happened because of that. And so this morning, I want to challenge you with some steps. Some steps that we have here at Abundant Life Church that we've kind of set up, not necessarily intentionally, but just kind of looks like it worked out that way. Um, and it got me thinking about m my son here two weeks ago. He said, Dad, I want to I learn to play the drums. Can you teach me how to play drums? And I kind of let it pause for a second, and I was like, well, yeah, let's see if he's serious about it. And he kept talking about it. I said, okay. I said, yeah, I'll teach you how to play drums. So I came to church, and we had an old electronic drum set. And I got an electronic drum set because you can put headphones on for an electronic drum set to play, and it sounds great to you, the player, but to the rest of us, it just sounds like just a little tap, 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 tappy. Because I had an acoustic drum set when I was growing up, and there were many times when my parents would incorrectly punish me for something that I clearly did not deserve. And then I would decide that it was time for me to go practice my drums. And I would play as loud as I could. And I said, my son is his father's son. He will do the same things. So we'll get the electronic set. And so I got that. And I said, hey, buddy, here you go. Like, go wild. I just kind of gave him some sticks and let's see what happens. But I quickly found out he needed a little more direction. Because I told him, I said, all right, here, here's your rock. You want to get your foot going? You, you got to do three different things when you're doing a rock beat. You all can try this at home later on, okay? You just like this, and if you get really good, then you call me, and we'll have you join the worship team. And so, but as he was doing, you know, as I'm doing, I'm like, hey, man, you're just loose. You got to be comfortable. Move your, flex your wrists, use your fingers, all of this. And he was like this, so focused on everything that he's doing. And uh, eventually he got it, but he's like, dad, dad, come look. And he's like, look, I'm, I'm doing it. And I said, oh, man, he's not, his, his, the basics are all wrong. Like, his, he's not holding the sticks correctly. He had his, had his fingers kind of pointing, or he'd turn his wrist, like, way in here as he, he's getting so tight. And I said, oh, man, we, we jumped to, like, step 12. We should have started at step one. I said, okay, hang on. I said, let's raise this snare drum up. You're just going to stand. We're not going to turn this thing on. And I said, we got to work on how you're holding the drumsticks. We're going to go back to basics because he'd never started there. I said, you got to hold it this way. He said, but, Dad, no, no, I like to hold him this way. And I said, Son, I don't care. That's wrong. That's not how we hold them. I said, you got to have your fingers underneath there. You, you want to do a drum roll and go fast and do all that. You got you to have some wrist action. You got to have your fingers working. You got you to hold them this way. He said, well, I don't want to. I said, I don't care. I'm in charge, not you. How many times in all of these times do I, does God sit there and say, hey, are you listening to this conversation, Steve? Where I sit there and I say, but God, I want to do it this way. And God says, no, no, no. That's not, that's not how it works. And so we went back to basics, and we just started, and, he, and he's learning those basics. We went back to step one, and so this morning, step one for each of us in how we experience community here at Abundant Life Church, and I, I had a hard time, you know, not give, or I gave God a hard time this morning because point number one is, or step number one is the patio, and I recognize that it's ridiculously cold out there this morning. But the patio is, is our step one here at Abundant Life Church of just experiencing a little bit of community every Sunday. I, 
I loved back before, if, if you're relatively new to Abundant Life Church, we used to not have construction out front. And there used to be this big patio all the way across. And, and after church, we'd all gather out there. And for the most part, it seemed like almost everybody went out there and we got snacks and, and we hung out. And I remember talking to people and just seeing sweat pouring down their faces because it was so hot and loving how they didn't care because they just wanted to be together, right? And there'd be times when it was cold and we still gathered out there. And, and there was times when it rained and we wouldn't gather as much then. But the whole heart behind what we do out there on the patio, what we do over here on the patio right now, the whole reason why we're building a foyer out there is one, to get out of the elements and to be able to have a little bit more time where we can gather together in community with each other. The whole reason we have snack out there is not to ruin your kids' lunches or anything like that, but it's to provide just something to keep you around for five or ten more minutes. And it also gives you something to hold when you're talking to somebody you don't know so that you're kind of in your comfort zone and, you know, you've got something you don't, you don't have to worry about what to do with your hands or anything like that. And so the heart behind all of this is just spend five more minutes. And so for some of us, you need to go west instead of east this morning. Now, Rick gave me a hard time because I challenged first service with that, and then I got stuck talking in here, and he goes, hey, you told everybody to go out on the patio, and you didn't go out on the patio, and I said, rats. So I'm going to try to get out there this morning. We've all got nice coats that we don't typically get to wear that maybe you wore this morning. I did as well. I'm excited to put that on because normally it's way too heavy a coat to wear here in Florida, but today we can. Today, go to the patio. Let's get out there. Let's, let's get in the habit of gathering together after a service so that we're used to that when, when, the, new when the new patio, the new foyer is, is built and ready to go. Amen? Patio, that should be 100% participation this morning. Number two, step two, is one-time events. Here at Abundant Life, we have a ton of one-time events where it's just, I mean, this morning's announcements had a whole bunch of them. Worship night. Come on out to worship night, man. Let's just gather. Let's praise. Let's be devoted to prayer like the early church did. Let's come worship together next month here, November, or sorry, November, February 4th. Let's come out. Let's do that. Ladies ministry has a ton of events all the time, so much so that we give them a hard time about it sometimes, but they're always doing things to just provide opportunities for community. Men, we don't do as many things, men. We got a football day tomorrow or next. Geez, man, words are hard today. We got a football thing going on next Sunday. Come on out, three o'clock. Bring not chips, and let's let's eat, let's hang out, let's watch some football. Bucks will be there. Hallelujah, maybe. We hope. You don't think so? Well, we'll see. Um, there's always there's all kinds of opportunities. If you're used to coming onto the patio and you do that and you say, Steve, I'm a great patio attender, then maybe your next step is step two. Come to some of these events. Sign up for Class 201. Come out to these things. Get to know us as a church. Get to know the body as a church. One event that we are kicking off this morning is guess who's coming to dinner? Out on the patio, there's sign-ups for guess who's coming to dinner. How many of you have participated in guess who's coming to dinner in the past? Okay, so this is a great opportunity for a new step for most of you. But those that raised their hands smiled mostly, which means it was a pretty good experience. Where for guess who's coming to dinner, sign up as either a guest or a host. You want to have people over? Be the host. You can make some food. You can get some food. We'll let you know who's coming, maybe, or we'll surprise you, maybe. Well, we'll probably let you know so you don't provide some sort of food that someone's allergically, allergically allergic to. Um, we're going to get through this. Or sign up as a guest. 
and just say, hey, I just want to come over, and we'll just put a bunch of you together, and, and you just show up, get to know some people. We were part of this a couple, the last time we did it, and it was just so much fun to, to get to know a little bit more about somebody. These are just baby steps, right? Just get to know somebody, know their story. How did they come to Sarasota? How did you hear about Abundant Life? What's God been doing in your life? I mean, it's easy. It's easy, it's simple, but we have to make it a priority. Sign up for that on the patio. There's four different time slots, four different times. Pick one that works for you, and we'll, we'll do all the work. The last time we did this, somebody said, we should do that again. And we said, go ahead. Do a little eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Pick somebody, invite them over to dinner. But I get that it's a little easier if we help you out. So we're glad to do that. So make sure we're a part of that. That's a good thing. Maybe you've been doing all of these events. You say, I show up to those. Semester small group, another opportunity kicking off today. Man, Lord's just really working all this together, isn't he? You got that blue sheet in front of you that John talked about. Look at those different groups. Some are Bible studies. Some are activity-based. Show up. Sign up. Take it to the, the, you can put it in the offering bins at the back of the church. Get some information on there. We'd love to just get you involved, get you around some people. Semester small groups are a neat opportunity where it's six or eight weeks. It's not forever. You're not committing to this group for the rest of your life. It's just an opportunity to gather with some people around something that's fun or, or a Bible study or something you're interested in. Be a part and make it a priority. Number four, small groups. Small groups are a little longer term thing. It's a little more commitment. It's saying, hey, I've done all this other stuff. I need a little more. I want to be a little closer. I want to have a group of people that are my people, that I can walk through life with, that, that you know, as iron sharpens iron, we can be together. Sign up for that. And maybe you're in a small group. Maybe your next step is number five. Be a leader. Be a leader. Maybe you've been in a small group and you say, man, our group's really growing and I don't know what to do and there's too many people and we might have to split and I don't know what to do because I don't want to lead. Maybe God calls you to lead right now. Maybe there's a bunch of you out there that say, I want to be in a small group. We're going to need some leaders to lead those groups. Is that you? Let us know. Fill out a connect card. Talk to somebody. But man, we, sh we should be growing, taking those next steps. I'd like you, in your notes, you've got five steps there. Pick the one that's your next step. Not the step you're doing, not the easiest step, but what's the next step that God has for you? And circle it. Circle that next step, and now do your best to make that thing a priority this morning. Number three, because I'm crafted for community, I will put others first. Acts 2.44 says that, and all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And I used to always, I was always kind of fascinated by this part of this story, like, man, look at this early church. And, and what this is giving us a picture of is, is truly the heart of this early church. We don't, we don't think that they continued to live like this forever, right? This was a moment where all these people were together and nobody was going back home yet because they just wanted to see what God was up to. And isn't it cool how God brought all these people to Jerusalem? Jesus did what he did and God began to grow his church and then all of these people left and they went to all of these different places and they took with them the gospel and they took with them what they saw and what they heard and the word of God spread, the gospel spread as they went out. But in this moment, they haven't gone out yet. And so all of these guests are here, and they're running out of money, and they're running out of food, and they're kind of becoming a burden on, on those that they're staying with. And so the early church, they didn't start to set up this, like, commune lifestyle where it was like, hey, everybody just sell everything, and now the disciples will 
take all the money and do all this stuff. But they just said, there's a need right now. We got some people that they need something. What are we going to do about it? And people said, hey, I'll help. I can get rid of this stuff. I can sell this stuff. I can sell this property. Eventually, they went back to their lives, and they went back to doing what they had. But in this moment, what this gives us is this picture of a heart change that happened where the people said, I care more about you than I do me or my stuff. And so this early church began to take care of each other. This wasn't that they were starting a new lifestyle, right? It wasn't communism or anything like that. It was just, hey, there's a need, and I can help meet that need. And they began to live in community with each other, making each other a priority and putting others first. And maybe that's, that's the shift in thinking that we need to have this morning. I'd like you to write somewhere under this point, it's not about me, but write me, not Steve. It's not about me this morning. I think we develop this mentality as, as people. What's in it for me? Why do I want to be a part of that? What am I going to get out of it? That maybe for some of you, especially if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, your, th- your thinking had better be shifting. Because as we look at Jesus in the life that he led, he didn't go into any situation looking for what he could get out of it, but he went into every situation saying, what can I give to those around me? And we need to have that shift in thinking as well. This morning, if you came to Abundant Life Church, if you showed up this morning and you said, man, I hope they sing this song because I really like it, or I hope this thing happens because this is what I want, there needs to be a shift in your thinking. Because instead, if we showed up like the early church did and we said, how can I give to someone else this morning? I promise you, you'll find opportunity. You will not be disappointed if you come looking. And that's what I found with our small group. There have been moments in our group where someone's come with a need and we're able to help. And there have been moments when I've come with a need and been able to help. But the attitude has never been, what can I get from these people? And the early church had that same thing. But I think it, it's such a conflict of our culture, right? We live in this culture where it's always about me. And if it's not worth it for me, then I'm not going to be a part of it. And what Jesus said was, that's not how you're supposed to live. And, and you know, there's this, there's this thinking right now, this idea of, of self-care. And I hope that I don't kick the beehive or anything here. But I, I really wrestled with this idea of, of you know, people will, will take a step back from life. Or, hey, right now I'm just kind of just trying to fill myself up. Or I'm just I'm taking a step back. And, and I, I don't feel like this is really scripturally what Jesus did. Right? Because I think... In this culture of self-care, we are beginning to develop a lifestyle of selfishness with small amounts of service rather than a lifestyle of service with moments of rest. Now, we know that Jesus many times would get away, right? He and the disciples, they would get away. They'd, They'd be ministering, and then Jesus would go away. But what he did when he went away was spend time with the Father. He he. He poured his heart out to God. He prayed to God. He let God speak to him and fill him up so that then he could continue to do ministry. But yeah, we've, we've got this idea that I just need to take a break. You know, there have been some people that are like, hey, i got to just take a break from ministry. I don't, I don't know that you do. You can take a vacation. You can take a nap. That's, that's, all, that's all well and good. But, but we're developing habits that build a lifestyle here. And the early church said this is what we want to be about, and that's each other. We want to serve one another. And so I just throw out a word of caution there. If that doesn't speak to you, then that's okay. Praise the Lord. Let's continue to 
to come looking for ways that we can serve those around us. And like I said, maybe you're the person God wants to use to speak into someone else's life this morning. Maybe you've got a story. Maybe you've got a situation where God brought you through and he's just waiting for you to be willing to pour into somebody else. Are you willing? Will you make it a priority? I hope that you will. Number four, because I'm crafted for community, I will live contagiously. I struggled with that word because I know we got some feelings about that through what we've gone through. But I think as believers, people should see us just living our lives and they should want what we have without you even doing anything but just living. The early church, look at verse 46. It says, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Twice, twice, they, they really highlight food. It makes me happy. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So the early church worshiped together. They went to the temple just like they had done before. And I recognize that for Jewish culture, like, their religion and their belief was so wrapped up in everything that they did. It wasn't just a, I go to temple this day of the week, but back, it was all the time and multiple times a day. And it was, it was just, it was what you did. So for them, they went from doing the Jewish thing to doing the Jesus thing. And they just kept that same kind of schedule and they did it all the time. And I know that that's very different than what we're used to. But the heart behind it is where we need to be. They continually just spent time together. They gathered, they worshiped, they met in homes, they, they gathered, they remembered the Lord's Supper together. And when you saw one believer walking on the road, you saw multiples because they just went everywhere together. And all of a sudden, like Scripture says here, they were filled with great joy and generosity because of this. Joy is a word that I would challenge you with this morning to let your life be defined by. You know, we sing a song, a couple of songs usually start the service off with something that's like, you know, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Or we'll sing, sing a song about joy in it. And I'll remind the worship team, I'll say, hey, I know we're supposed to like smile and be happy and look like we're, we're excited about being here all the time, especially for this song. I actually warned him this morning. I was like, make sure I'm going to say this. So make sure you're smiling for those first couple or somebody in the crowd's going to be like, you mean like so-and-so? Um, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Does your face show it? Can I be honest with all of you? There are a few of you that there have been times when I've wanted to say to you, I'm not even going to look at anybody, <laughs> that I see you singing there's joy in the house of the Lord. And I want to come up to you and say, tell your face. Come on. Like, there's joy. Show me. Show us. Like, I, I think one of the things God challenges me with out there, there was one, there was a time we were doing some Saturday night services years ago. And I believe my brother and I were in one of the back rows, and we were talking, and we were kind of goofing off a little bit during the sermon. Um, and somebody slipped me a note. We are just kind of talking. And he slipped me a note. He said, hey, we love you, but you're really distracting right now. And I was like, oh. And God started stirring in me that, hey, man, you're a leader whether you're on stage or whether you're in the seat. And how you lead out here is almost more important than how you lead up here. And I was like, oh, that was, that hit me. But each of you is a leader, and, and I do want to encourage you right now. If you can see me, I can see you. 
take for that what it is. But more importantly than me seeing you is those around you see you and, you and you lead from there. And so scripture tells us that they grew and enjoyed the goodwill of all the people as they just were joyful, as they were happy, as they were excited. I feel like there's more smiles right now. I don't know if you guys are forcing it or what the deal is, but I appreciate it. Um, as we come into this place and as we look for opportunity to love on other people, our heart should just be so full of joy that we get to do this, that we get to celebrate together, and that as we do that and as we worship and as we praise and as, as we lift God's name up, that we can't help but celebrate. And that as people look at us, they can't help but say, I want that. Like, whatever they're going through, I know that their life is not great right now, but there's a smile on their face, there's joy in their heart, and I don't understand it, but I want it. And that should be us. That should be us as believers. That should be us. I love that phrase, enjoying the goodwill of all the people, because the people were not just the body of believers. It wasn't just, hey, they, they were really nice to each other, but they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people, even the people that how a couple weeks ago or months ago or however long it was, four days ago, were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Those same people are seeing this group of believers that are following this crucified Jesus, and they're saying, man, I like them. I, I want it. I want that. What are they doing? And then scripture says, what did God do? He added to their fellowship daily those who were being saved. Now, again, they didn't all go and become missionaries and all preach from the, the street corners, and they, they didn't do anything other than just be together and be happy and be kind. And God took that and multiplied those efforts, and he brought more people, and they were added to their number, those who were being saved because the church decided we're going to love God and love people to the best of our ability. So this morning, my challenge to you is to take the next step. Just one step. You don't have to know how to play the whole drum set yet. That's okay. But what's the next step that God has for you? Will you make community a priority? Will you choose to put others first? Will you live in a way that others want what you have? Because if the answer is yes to all three of those, then that building's not going to be big enough and we're going to have a problem on our hands, but we'll figure that out when we get there. Because God will grow our church as we just live together. <laughs>